Edge Case Podcast may contain graphic depictions of violence, explicit language, and other content that some listeners may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. At the fringes of perception, beyond the boundaries of your mind, just past the glow of the firelight, out of the corner of your eyes, you will find an Edge Case. Make It Last 10 More Seconds by Melissa Rochelle May My mind is a demented negative place. It's not an excuse, just an explanation of why I was having particularly dark thoughts in my daughter's third grade classroom. This particular morning, my mind was wrapped around school shootings. About a month previous, I had read an article. That article disclosed how teachers are encouraging students to fight back against an active shooter in the room. Use anything. It could save a life, it proclaimed. It took me all of five minutes to conclude that they, in fact, meant you might save this next kid in line. Tara Thompson finished her show and tell and got back into her seat about the time I was reflecting on the protection spell I had placed on my daughter. She was standing up, smiling at me proudly in her witch's frock. Sally never reached the front of the room. Code black, this is not a drill. Repeat, this is not... Active shooter! Active shooter! Mrs. Anderson was frantic, shoving kids into closets and cupboards. That was when it started to play, like a metronome in my mind. Make it last ten more seconds. Make it last ten more seconds. My beautiful baby girl crying on her big day. Make it last 10 more seconds. Suddenly, I felt the crackling of magic building in my hands. Realizing I'm casting a spell, I move to the door. Make it last 10 more seconds. I'm in the hall, staring down a cliche in a trench coat drenched in acne. Make it last 10 more seconds. Do you want to die, you stupid cunt? Make it last 10 more seconds. Then the bullets sending hot spikes through my body as I continue walking at the same speed. Make it last ten more seconds. Child murdering piece of shit. The fuck are you? Make it last ten more seconds. Starts to run away. Apparently, I am terrifying now. When I catch up, I was always going to catch up. There is only one thing I can say before biting down on that tender neck. Make it last 10 more seconds, kid.
The Last Will Be First by Robert Mayling. It's amazing how surreal life is sometimes. Part of your life can be so different from other parts, they seem like separate worlds. The you from ten years ago can meet the you from now and maybe not even recognize himself. Maybe it's not like that for everybody, but it's that way for me. It'll be time to move soon. As more people start coming into the park in the morning, the cops get more pushy with people like me in the way. They've got a revitalized downtown district to protect. And the sight of someone like me on this pristine bike trail the city spent a fortune on is good for attracting yuppies and tourists downtown. I get up from the bench I've slept the last three hours on with my bad left knee and my lower back screaming in pain even a little more than usual. A plaque now probably stamped into my back said, This bench donated in loving memory of Francis and Sarah Peterson. Well, thanks, folks. I thought as I painfully limped down the bike trail. I couldn't say thanks. Not a way anybody'd understand anyway. Not since the stroke. I could think it, but my tongue always felt weird in my own mouth now. And no one could understand a damn word I said. Now, you might think that's how I got to this point, but the stroke was just the icing of the cake. As I shuffled down the path, I thought about all that happened to me. Bonnie's cancer, the medical debt, losing my insurance when the plant closed after the company went bust because of that shooting or whatever it was at the call center. Things hadn't been great, and that whole mess was the final nail in the coffin on that old place. I worked three jobs to try to keep us afloat and keep insurance up for our treatments, but I guess it was more than I can handle. They found me passed out behind the counter at the C-store and rushed me to the hospital where I woke up from a coma three weeks later after the stroke. I could understand what they were saying, but they couldn't understand me. My mouth and tongue just wouldn't work right anymore. I rounded the corner to my favorite mid-morning spot, a bench out of the wind, with lots of sun thanks to a tiny clearing in the trees. The bench was old and especially uncomfortable, but the spot had all the good stuff going for it as well as being too hard for the cops to see from their car. They never came up this far on the trail. But when I rounded the corner, it was not the loving memory of Carl Leifson waiting for me, but something new. Donated by the local Chamber of Commerce was what waited for me in that clearing, and it was a beast. The old bench had been an uncomfortable slab of concrete from the 1970s or 60s or something old. The new bastard was shiny, blue powder-coated metal with indents and mini armrests that were a little too low. This bench and others like it were purposely designed to be uncomfortable so the wrong kind of people couldn't use them. I was the wrong kind of people. Fuck, I thought. I tried to say it too, but it came out something like, Whoa. On your left, man! I dragged myself and my bad leg to the right as two guys flew past on their bikes. Not sure what to do now. I sat down on the bench. The left seat indent. As I thought about not having this little spot to myself to rest without getting harassed, tears welled up in my left eye. My right eye didn't do that so much since the stroke. This is a beautiful spot. I can really see why you love it so much. Somehow, there was a guy sitting next to me in the other indent. Startled, I jumped out of the seat and was up on my feet in one quick motion. I hadn't heard or seen him walk up. It's like one second, the seat was empty and the next he was there. And who was he? 
And why is he dressed like someone from the show Mad Men? At and all. My gut braced for the pain I knew I'd feel at any moment from getting up that fast, but it never came. You'd think I'm from Mad Men. In that case, Max, you can call me Don. Our little joke going forward. I take it you're feeling better already? I don't know how, but I did. The more I thought about it, the more I realized I didn't feel any pain. For the first time in years, there was no pain. Don't worry, Max. You're not dead. Far from it. In fact, thanks to me, you're probably feeling the best you've felt in many years. Since before the stroke. But you're so locked in there now after having not been able to talk for so long. Why don't you try it? Try to talk out loud. How do you know my name? I said out loud. My hand immediately coming up to my mouth in disbelief. Look, all this reconstruction combined with you not having had a solid meal in several days is going to make you extremely hungry. So why don't we get some breakfast and coffee? My treat. After that, we can talk business. My head swirled. I was almost dizzy. I had so many questions, but I realized suddenly that he was right, and I was now very hungry, to the point of being even more dizzy. Don got up and grabbed my arm to support me. Take it easy, Mr. Carroll. Food. Then answers. We walked down the trail and into one of the newly redeveloped areas of downtown. Don led me to a coffee and breakfast place on the first floor of a shining new glass and stainless steel building. With the way I was dressed and the way we were walking, I was expecting building security. It was busy in this clearly new and trendy coffee shop, but no one seemed to notice us. We sat at a small two-seat hammered metal table almost immediately without having ordered anything. A waitress came with fresh coffee for me and an omelet and waffles. I didn't think or complain. I just started eating and drinking. I wasn't sure if it was hunger or the actual quality of food, but that was the best meal I've ever had. You can keep eating. I'll just talk while you do so. I'm sure you have a lot of questions, and that's understandable. Let me see if I can answer some of them. Before you ask, no, I'm not the devil or God or ghost or anything like that. I am indeed what you folks call an alien. No, this isn't my actual form. And no, I'm not here to take over or eat you or probe you. I stopped eating and stared at Don. He's a perfectly normal looking man. Other than his clothes being a little off the mark for the time period, he seemed completely normal. I started to wonder if I was dreaming. I think we covered that already. But no, you're not dreaming. You can verbalize your questions now if you want. That's why I restored your speech. So what do you want, I asked, slowly resuming my eating as I started to calm down and remember how hungry I was. Why here? Why me? There you go, the next boilerplate set of questions. Well, sir, I've traveled a long way to make you an exciting offer. Wait, you're here to sell me something? Not quite, but close. I'm here to buy something from you. Buy something from me? I asked, almost choking on my omelet. Mr. Carroll, the quote your people have, that there's no such thing as a free lunch, applies even where I'm from. And no, I already see what you're about to ask. I don't want to buy your organs for experimentation. No, what I have in mind is a little bigger. There's no way to ease into this, Max, so I'll just come out and say it. I'm here to buy Earth from you. I nearly choked on my egg. Excuse me. I... I'm willing to make you a competitive offer. Let me explain my comprehensive package. Okay, back up. Why do you think you can buy the Earth from me? According to Interstellar Legal Code, and yes, there are bureaucrats in space, upon surveying the planet, the Judicator algorithm aboard my ship legally certified you as the median specimen of your species. Since you're the only sentient species on Earth, other than the dolphins, with whom I've already reached an agreement, 
By law, that makes you the owner of Earth. I was dumbfounded. I couldn't eat. I couldn't blink. I just stared at him wide-eyed. Please, remember to breathe, sir. You must be conscious for this transaction. How? How would that even work? It's all part of my comprehensive offer. You give me full matter, energy, and spiritual exploitation rights to Earth, and I can offer you, wait for it, full trans-dimensional corporeal ascension. I stared at the alien across the breakfast table from me, confused. You'd be given your own pocket dimension, where you're effectively God. Oh. I know, right? Mic drop, as your people say. Wait, is this the right time period for that? Never mind. What's important is you can literally have anything and everything you want for all eternity. I know it's not the Carl Leifson bench, but you can create infinite Earths with infinite benches, if that's what you're into. So what do you say? I don't need to read your mind to know you're going to need a minute. Take your time. I thought back on everything that had happened to me in the last decade. All the pain and suffering and... Bonnie. Tears welled down my face. One hundred Bonnies if you want. I glared at Don with what I'm sure was a non-too-subtle threat. Sorry, I'll stay out of your head. Don turned in his chair to face away from me and out into the rest of the cafe. Then he just sipped his coffee and people watched. After what seemed like an eternity sitting quietly with my thoughts whirling, I finally spoke up again. What are you going to do with Earth? Well, not me personally, but my organization is very excited about the research possibilities for this planet. Its particular molten core gives it an exciting and rare electromagnetic field that has numerous potential applications. So you'll just study the Earth? I see where this is going, so let me tell you what you want to know. The process of our studies will most likely leave the planet uninhabitable. Once you ascend and we take possession of the planet, all living organisms down to the cellular level will be euthanized. What the hell? Max, calm down. It's interstellar law. We wouldn't want the research we'll be conducting to cause undue suffering. So you'd just kill everyone? Look, you don't have to worry about any of that. You can recreate them all in your own dimension, and they'll never know anything happened. Except you could make it better, Max. I've seen many planets and species in my line of work, and the median organism is usually better off than you were when I found you. These people... Don gestured around the cafe. The society they've built. They've been waiting for you to die, Max. You're trash to them. And millions of you all over the planet get treated like this. You humans eat your own. You could make that all better, Max. You want to be a king or a saint or an emperor? It's all yours. Leave this mud ball behind and build a better world. One where there are no Maxes shivering and hungry on park benches. One where Bonnies don't die from illnesses that other members of your society in the same building are having cured the same day. I look at your world, your people, Max, and I see chaos. I see madness. It's like your species finally survived long enough to become the dominant species and then immediately turned on each other. Like you're killing yourselves in a war that's been over for a hundred thousand years. You know that better than at least half your planet does. Don clearly was a salesman and was making hell of an argument. What happens if I refuse? Now, Max, don't be too hasty. I'm out to make a deal here, and I don't want to see you walk away from what is one heck of a deal. Management has really pulled out all the stops on this one. Not every world is worth a godhood. In all my time with the company, I'll never earn enough for something like Ascension. There are galactic empires fighting wars for an offer like this, and they don't even get close. 
I don't think you understand what I'm offering. What happens if I refuse? Then you'll have spoken for your species as its true representative, and the Earth will become a protected legal entity. Soul system will be off limits to my kind until, I have no doubt, you kill yourselves off someday with nukes or viruses or some genetic horror. You seem so certain that we're doomed. And I didn't want to play hardball, Max, but my regenerations I ran for you will wear off once I'm off-planet. You'll be back to non-verbal life and pain. To be honest, Max, I've seen management simulations. You don't make it long. There was a reason I came today. I like you. That pocket dimension deserves you, and you deserve it. I was certain he was right. My insides hadn't been right for months. Come on, Max. Why don't you come on in for the big W? Did I say it right? Look, I had very little time to study your culture and species before I came down here, and I think I'm doing pretty good. Look, it was a generous offer, and I'd be lying if I said it wasn't tempting as hell, but what you're describing, that ain't me. I'm not God, and I don't want to be. I know my life's been hard, but I've earned that pain. You hear me? I've earned watching the woman I love die. I earned that pain. I don't want some pale imitation of her staring back at me, and I don't want to tell the universe how to live. I really didn't figure out my life. I'm sure as hell not going to figure out all life. So thank you for breakfast, Don. But I guess if it really is my call to make, then Earth ain't for sale. Very well. You've made your decision. I can tell you won't be changing your mind. Just then, a clear glowing sphere about the size of a tennis ball rose up through the table like a ghost passing through a wall and hovered between me and Don. You heard him. Response confirmed. Ecological protected status certified. A talking orb then flew out of the cafe, passing through the window on the way out and then up into the sky, out of sight. Nice job, kid. No harm in telling you now the regeneration wearing off thing was a bluff. You're going to be fine. Better than you were before, in fact. Lying is all part of the test. This day and this guy couldn't get any weirder. So is this the part where you're going to eat me? I asked sarcastically. Don't be absurd. We don't eat anyone. We don't kill anyone. The whole euthanizing the planet thing would never happen. What kind of monsters would do that? Don't answer that. Neither of us will like the answer. Oh, and when I'm gone, check your pockets. Someone told me you guys like shiny rocks, so I picked up some compressed carbon for you before I came down here. Have a nice life. I had so many more questions, but before I could say anything, there was a flash of light and Don was gone. Somehow I was now sitting where Don had been sitting at the other side of the table. And even stranger, I was now wearing his suit. I reached into the pockets, and they felt like they were filled with tiny rocks. I drew a few out and saw that they were, they were diamonds. Make it last 10 more seconds. Directed by Robert Mayling. Written by Melissa Rochelle May. Editing by Robert Mayling. The voice of mother was Tamara Huffman. The voice of P.A. was Brett Stoles. The voice of Shooter was Robert Mayling. The Last Will Be First. Directed by Robert Mayling. Written by Robert Mayling. The voice of Max was Nathan Holtz. The voice of Dawn was Jake Cox. The voice of Bicyclist was Luke Johnson. The voice of the Orb was Tiffany Clanton.
This podcast is made with love by Edge Case Podcast Crew, who thank you for listening. Special thanks to Ari Show, Dominic Weineke, Amanda Mailing, Deborah Mailing, Joanna Keen, and Peter Pishke. If you would like to learn more about Edge Case Podcast and how you can support the dedication and hard work of our cast and crew, visit patreon.com slash edgecase. This audio production is copyright 2019 by Edgecase Podcast, all rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Edgecase Podcast.